It's the Old Man Yells at Music Podcast. The show where a guy looks back at selected hits from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Also, some old musical TV shows, albums you may have forgotten or never even heard of, and more. Now, here's your host, the old man himself, Roger Stroop. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. I'm Roger Stroop. First of all, an announcement. Old Man Yells at Music has gotten its first Patreon subscriber. Thanks go out to Mike Birmingham, who has subscribed at the Hot 100 entry level for $2 US a month. Because of this, he got to hear this episode before anyone else, and he will get to participate in polls to select topics of some future Tales from the Bargain Bin and Turn On, Tune In, Rock Out episodes. Now, the only question is, what song did Mike enter the Hot 100 with? Hmm. Birmingham. I got it. Debuting in the Old Man Yells at Music Hot 100 at number 77, it's Mike Birmingham with his cover of Sweet Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama, excuse me. Congratulations, Mike. And remember, if you'd like to join Mike in the Hot 100... Or maybe go top 40 or top 10, have a number one, or even be a triple crown winner. Follow the link in the show notes and the blog post, or search Old Man Yells at Music on Patreon. This week is the sixth installment of my sub-series, Turn On, Tune In, Rock Out, where I look at pop music-related television shows. For this one, we need to start by talking about the phenomenon of tribute acts. Tribute acts, as I'm sure you know, are singers and musicians who mainly perform songs by one famous artist or band, and often the act also involves recreating the look and sound of that artist. Arguably the first and undoubtedly the most widespread example of this phenomenon is, of course, the Elvis impersonator. The king of rock and roll was reportedly inspiring imitators almost from the moment he became famous, and the combined forces of 50s nostalgia and Presley become even more of a theatrical performer in his Vegas years, made him an even more attractive subject for imitation in the 70s. In particular, comedian Andy Kaufman became known for his, his impersonation, and Elvis himself apparently liked, liked Kaufman's version of him best of all. And after Elvis's death in 1977, with no other way for fans to experience him in concert, the phenomenon exploded and thousands of people around the world of all ages, genders, races, ethnicities, shapes, and sizes have taken the stage with their own takes on the king ever since. Also in 1977, the Broadway show Beatlemania, featuring musicians mimicking the sound and appearance of John, Paul, George, and Ringo, premiered, expanding the tribute act idea to the Fab Four. And as time went on, hundreds of thousands of performers began hitting the road, dressing up as other singers and bands, and performing as faithful as possible covers of the popular songs of everyone from Frank Sinatra to Michael Jackson to Led Zeppelin to Madonna to Garth Brooks to, well, pretty much every musical act who has achieved any level of success in the last 100 years. I actually went to high school with a guy who now drums in a successful U2 tribute band called Desire. And I have played and I've also played in a poker league against a guy who has performed on stage as country star Tim McGraw. Clearly, many people enjoy taking on the persona of pop and rock performers and singing and playing those stars hits. 
and many more people enjoy watching others recreate the look and sound of the biggest names in music. Capitalizing on this, a Dutch television producer named Joop van den Ende, who later performed the production company behind shows like Big Brother, Fear Factor, and Wipeout, created Sound Mix Show, all one word, Sound Mix Show, on which people from around the country got the chance to dress up and sing like their favorite pop stars while competing for prizes. The show was a success, and in 1990, Britain's Granada Television brought the format to the UK, calling their show Stars in Their Eyes. It was a big hit, and it ran for 16 years. But for this show, I'm going to start at the beginning. And so, I give you Turn On, Tune In, Rock Out number 6, Stars in Their Eyes, Series 1, Episodes 1 and 2, which originally aired on ITV in Britain, on July 21st and 28th, 1990. The show opens with a guy climbing down a ladder. He dips a sponge into a bucket of gold liquid, then wipes a wall. Now we see a woman ironing. Her shadow suddenly turns into the silhouette of a woman singing. The woman is reminiscent of 80s Madonna. Then we see... A man at a typewriter. His shadow becomes a dancing Michael Jackson-like figure. Then a guy fixing a sink's shadow becomes a guy rocking out on a piano. And then a maid's shadow becomes a woman dancing sexily on a chair. Then we see an animation of a lighted mirror displaying the show's name. And an announcer introduces our host, Leslie Crowther. Crowther is dressed in a suit and tie, and he looks like the archetypal stuffy middle-aged Englishman. Crowther had been working in British show business since the 50s and had spent many years on television as a comedian and game show host. Notably, he hosted the first UK version of The Price is Right. Anyway, he tells us that tonight we will see five people from all walks of life who are able to look and sound like their favorite singing stars. He assures us that they will not be lip-syncing, or miming as he calls it. They will rather be singing live. And at the end of the show, the studio audience will pick a winner, and that winner will meet the winners of the next four shows in the series' grand final. He then introduces the first star guest of the night, Kelly Hampton. Crowther meets a blonde woman in a green uniform jacket and skirt in front of a backdrop of a tropical island. This is because 19-year-old Kelly works for a tour operator, and her job is to pose as a tourist at various resorts to evaluate their service. Crowther jokingly calls her a spy. She says that tonight she will be performing as Kylie Minogue. She then walks through some sliding doors that close behind her, and when they reopen, she emerges with big 80s hair, a pink top, and jeans. She then proceeds to sing Kylie's 1989 hit, Never Too Late. For me, her voice sounds a little too squeaky for Kylie, and while she does pretty well technically performing the choreography along with the backup dancers, she seems a little stilted. And some of the gestures she does are a little weird. Like when she sings the line, change your mind, she's the, she does that twirl your finger by your ear crazy thing. You know what I mean. I don't know if that's what Kylie does in the video or something, but it, to me it just seems strange. Anyway, she finishes, crowd applauds, and then Crowther introduces the next singer, Gary Gibson. 
Gary is in front of a backdrop of piano keys. Not surprisingly from his appearance, he's John Lennon in a Beatles tribute band called Cavern. He says all the members are good lookalikes, except Ringo, who needs to wear a false nose. Gary himself says he got his Lennon-esque nose when it was broken in a fight. Crowther says maybe he should find the same guy to fix Ringo. Anyway, Gary goes through the magic sliding doors and comes out dressed all in black and with a mop-top haircut, carrying a guitar. He proceeds to sing Twist and Shout. His Lennon impression is decent, although I would say that whenever he sings the word shake, it sounds like shake. And I think having him up there alone isn't nearly as impactful as it would be with the rest of the group. It's obvious that something's missing, but I have to say he's giving it his all. Next up is Maxine Berry, a dowdy-looking woman whose backdrop is a clapperboard that says Coronation Street. She works as a film and television extra, and they show a clip of, of her walking through a scene on that long-running soap opera. She says she's going to be Shirley Bassey, and she walks out, walks through the magic doors and comes out glammed up and in a sparkly evening gown to sing Bassey's most famous song, the theme from the James Bond filmed Goldfinger. She's backed by backup dancers dressed like parking valets for some reason. That probably wasn't the atten- intent, but that's what I saw. Anyway, she does a very good job on the voice, and while she looks nervous in some early close-ups, she seemed to gain confidence as she went on. Crowley tells us we're at the end of part one, and there will be two more star guests. That's what they call them. I think I said that already, but I'll say it again. He calls them all star guests. There will be two more star guests when they return. Unfortunately, there are no commercials on the video, so we come right back with the next contestant, Michael Bostock. Bostock has dark hair and a beard, and Crowther, for some reason, tells us he definitely won't be imitating Colonel Sanders. Okay. Michael is a porter at a hospital. Excuse me, head porter, Michael corrects Leslie, to which Crowther quips, What about the rest of the body? Michael jokes that he sings to patients as he accompanies them to procedures, including a song about a waterfall to people who've just had to drink a lot of water. He goes through the magic doors and comes out with darker hair, a plaid shirt, and a brown coat, and an acoustic guitar. He's Roger Whitaker, a Kenyan-born folk singer best known in North America for his 1975 hit, The Last Farewell. Michael is doing the 1969 song, Durham Town, The Leaven. The impression is okay, but the performance is just him sitting on a stool, and the song is a downer about men going off to war. My feeling is that if the majority of the audience is over 60, maybe he could win this. The final star guest of the evening is Ian Duncan, a young man with glasses and curly hair who is in front of a backdrop of Roman artifacts. Ian, apparently, recently graduated university with a degree in Roman studies. Crowther asks how that affects his job chances, to which Ian replies, it wipes them out completely. He says he'll be Frank Sinatra, and he comes out of the magic doors with no glasses, his hair slicked back and, and dressed in a tuxedo, singing, the lady is a tramp. He does pretty well capturing Frank's voice and mannerisms, but he could be a little more energetic 
to truly project Frank Swagger. Crowther tells us that all of tonight's performers have been stupendous, but now it's time for the audience to pick a winner. We see audience members with little push-button voting devices like they had on America's Funniest Home Videos. If I had a vote, it would probably go to Shirley just by a little over Frank. And the winner is indeed Maxine Berry as Shirley Bassey. Leslie congratulates her. She sings Goldfinger again, and the credits roll. We'll look at the second episode right after this. Hi, this is your host, Roger Stroop, letting you know that if you like my point of view on old pop music, you can actually find lots more of it on the Old Man Yells at Music blog. I've been looking back at top 40 charts from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and beyond for almost 10 years now. And I've done hundreds of entries and covered thousands of songs from the American, Canadian, and British charts. From the A's to ZZ Top. From Abacab to Zoom. You'll also find my Uneasy Rider tournaments, celebrating the odd ducks of the American Top 40. The 70s tourney is complete, but the 80s one is just getting started. And you can follow along on the blog as it progresses. And of course, you can find links to the latest episode of this podcast and the accompanying YouTube playlists there. So take a look at the Old Man Yells at Music blog, which you can find at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Why is it there? You'll have to go there to find out. That's the Old Man Yells at Music blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Now we're on to episode two. Crowther goes over over the concept of the show and shows a clip of last week's winner, Maxine, before introducing this week's first star guest, Jackie McCall. She's a blonde wearing a blue painter's jumpsuit, and her backdrop is a paint palette. She's a portrait painter from Northern Ireland, and she unveils her latest work, a portrait of none other than Leslie Crowther. He's impressed. Anyway, she's going to be Madonna tonight, and after she goes through the magic doors, she comes out with a leather jacket over a frilly dress to sing Papa Don't Preach. Her singing and dancing to the choreography with the backing dancers are okay, but just that, just okay. Next, we see Leslie and our next performer in front of a backdrop of a bass drum that says New Horizon Marching Band. He's Joe Robinson, a partially sighted man who runs a marching band for children with disabilities. He enters the magic doors and comes out dressed in all black with black hair and dark glasses. Yes, he's Roy Orbison, singing Oh Pretty Woman. His his Orbison voice is very good, but he's visibly nervous, and the act doesn't call for much more than just standing and singing. Our next contestant is Lane Kennedy. She's in what I would call an Amish-looking blue dress, and her backdrop is a dollhouse and a teddy bear in a rocking chair. She's just had a baby girl named Vanessa. She and Leslie talk about sleepless nights before she reveals she's going to be Barbara Streisand. She comes out of the magic doors in a pink floor-length sweater dress and big hair. She sings Woman in Love. Her voice is pretty good, and the performance is all right, but I have to say nothing has blown me away in part one. Part two begins with Leslie introducing James Del Giudice. His backdrop is a bar, 
and he's dressed in a vest and bow tie. He's a trainee bar manager. He says his, his name means of the judge. Leslie says it's better than Leslie of the Crowder. James talks about an old couple who comes into his bar and how the woman orders a martini with eight cherries so she won't drink on an empty stomach. Then he says he's going to be George Michael. And when he comes out of the magic doors, his hair and beard are lightened. He's wearing jeans, a leather jacket, and aviator, aviator sunglasses, and he has an acoustic guitar. He performs Faith. His vocal imitation may be the best I've seen so far, and he's got the moves from the video down quite well. And our last contestant is Chris Higgins. He's in a suit, and he has a mustache and bushy eyebrows. His backdrop is a 20-pound note because he's a financial advisor who sells insurance. Life insurance, in particular. With a stodgy op occupation like that, you'd think he might break out with something like Ziggy Stardust-era Bowie. But no, he's going to be Chris DeBerg singing Lady in Red. He comes out of the magic doors in a different suit, but no tie. His hair is darker and the mustache is gone. There's a couple dancing in the background, and the lady is indeed in red. The vocal impression is fine, but really there's nothing to, to the performance as far as I'm concerned. Now it's time for the vote. If I had one, it'd go to bartender George Michael. Well, the audience picked their favorite, and the winner is Chris DeBerg. I don't get it. Maybe this crowd just really, really liked that song. Anyway, he comes back to sing again, and the credits roll. I'll give my impressions and talk about the series some more right after this. The Old Man Yells at Music podcast now has a Patreon. Yes, if you like this podcast so much you were moved to financially support it, now you can. There are different tiers with different rewards, such as early episode access, the ability to vote on future topics, and bonus episodes about extra songs from the charts I cover, other charts from other years, genres, and countries, and even the biggest hits of the 21st century. And you can even pick an episode topic for me at the top level. So if you're interested, go to patreon.com and search Old Man Yells at Music, or click on the link Click on the links to the show notes, my social media posts, or the blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Help me yell more at more music. Become a Patreon subscriber today. So, what did I think of these first two episodes of Stars in Their Eyes? I thought it was a good concept, and I like the fact that the star guests were actually singing instead of lip-syncing. Although I will get to that, as I have found an episode of the 80s syndicated lip sync show, Putting on the Hits. So you will hear me talk about some lip syncing. But from Crowther on down to the contestants, everyone seems very restrained and a little too serious. With the, po with the possible exception of Michael the Hospital Porter. It's like no one wants to get too excited. It's the to me, it's the epitome of what the British call light entertainment. The next three episodes saw singers portraying Tom Jones, Cliff Richard, and Marty Pello of the group Wet 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 join Shirley and Chris in the grand final. That was held on August 25th, with Maxine Berry winning with a version of Bassey's cover of the Beatles' Something. As I said, the show was a success, and it ran for 17 seasons. 
Crowther, however, was in a major car accident shortly after the end of season three, and he was replaced for most of the rest of the show's run by Matthew Kelly. The show was canceled in 2006. A revival was attempted in 2015, but it only lasted one season. And apparently the format is coming back this year under a new name, Starstruck. I'm definitely going to cover more of this show, just to see if it got any livelier in later seasons, especially with a different host. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. As always, if you like what you've heard, share, subscribe, and leave a review where you found it. You can also leave feedback on the Facebook and Twitter feeds, both of which are at Mr. B. Glovehead, or on the blog post for the episode, which is at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Or you can check out the Instagram account, at Old Man Yells at Music. As always, there's a companion YouTube playlist for this episode, which I will link to in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a link to my Patreon, where you can support the show and get some bonus content. All the recorded are for purposes of discussion and review. No infringement is intended. Next time on the show, it's back to the charts. This time looking at mid-March 1979, our first repeat year. Another milestone. Anyway, until then, I'm Roger Stroop saying thanks again to Mike Birmingham. Stay safe.